Hi, welcome to Anika's Connect. My name is Michelle Haig, CEO and founder of HEED, an earliest consultancy and so much more. Please take a look at our show notes to connect with HEED on our socials. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with YouHoo. Here at HEED, we believe that by connecting early years together, we become stronger and better able to give children the very best start in life. In today's episode, we talk about safeguarding, the most important aspect of what we do each and every day. If you're impacted by any issues in today's show, please do reach out for support at organisations such as the Samaritans. According to the NSPCC, in April 2023, more than 90% of teachers say that safeguarding referrals have risen. This highlights the important role that everybody plays in keeping children safe and why this podcast is so incredibly important. I want to welcome today our podcast guest, Ella Savile-Boss, whom I've known for many years. Ella is an NSPCC accredited safeguarding trainer with over 20 years experience working in education, including being a director of safeguarding for a multi-academy trust and providing safeguarding consultancy, training, and much, much more. I cannot think of anybody better to be with us here today. Ella, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. Although I do feel like it's then a lot to live up to. Um, but I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, Ella, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, we've sat around many tables in many different schools. So to be here today, I know that our listeners are just going to tune in, listen, learn and just enjoyed the time to talk about safeguarding and whilst that feels a bit like an anomaly we all know it's a commitment that we all make every day Absolutely. so let's kick things off let's start by talking about why safeguarding in early years is such an important topic well I mean you've set it up brilliantly already um, obviously I love talking about safeguarding and I think it's a really lovely opportunity to be able to talk about it within the early years setting because it is really where it all starts so I work with a number of schools and a number of early year settings, a number of further education. I work nationally and internationally. And I think what's lovely about it is pretty much safeguarding anywhere. It's pretty much all the same because what we're dealing with is when we're dealing with little ones, we are absolutely at the start of their lives, really important times where actually there can be quite a few challenges but it is so important. And I, I always want to get that message across that anyone working in an early years setting is playing such an integral role of setting the foundations and the expectations for safeguarding. So I think that's part of the reason why it sort of sets itself apart a little bit to make sure that we do really shine a light and we also celebrate the amazing work that people are doing in that arena. Yeah, and it's really about getting to know children incredibly well, isn't it, Ella? And, and knowing children, knowing their families and being their absolute rock of support, you know, eyes open, ears open, and just being tuned into that fact that safeguarding does indeed happen everywhere and can happen everywhere. Absolutely. And I think what's really important as well is that 
people in working in early year settings have an absolute advantage because they have to see and develop those relationships with families. Whereas as children get older, especially in secondary school, there's a little bit more independence. So what early years staff have got is they've got that opportunity to develop those relationships, see a little bit more, hear a little bit more. But it is so important that we also recognise what some of the barriers are to that. So what can be really tricky is obviously very young children um, or children with any additional needs maybe can't communicate what's going on for them quite as easily as other children. So that does mean that there is a bit of extra pressure on those staff working in early years. What I'd say is developing those key relationships before we have to have any tricky, difficult conversation is really key. And again, going back to all the times we've sat around the table together, that's been something that we've both been really passionate about, is that if you actually treat somebody with that care and compassion and people believe that you are doing the right thing, when you might have to have one of those tricky conversations about a safeguarding issue and a concern about their child, it's likely to go a lot better. And it's also much better to come from somebody that they know. So what we don't want is to just make referrals to social workers and somebody that isn't known to the family is then coming and talking to them about something really serious and potentially really upsetting and really difficult. Whereas people within early years and all throughout education are usually best placed to have those conversations because we develop those relationships. We know what's what's the norm for that child and that family and then we can identify those changes and I've always been really passionate about that because I don't like it when it feels like there's a bit of a a sort of safeguarding hierarchy in different organizations I think what I always try to convey when I'm delivering any like DSL training for designated safeguarding leads I always try and say You've got to really believe how important you are in the role of the life of a child and safeguarding. And even more so in early years, because I think when people are working in early year settings, they're working with very young children. Sometimes there isn't always from everybody that confidence to know that they really are best placed, that they do know it. And they should be absolutely shouting it from the rooftops if they identify something that isn't quite right. I've worked with so many people in early years who have so much knowledge and experience and they are the most important people sometimes around the table because some of the other people there don't know the child at all. They're a name on a document and that's it. I work really closely um, with the wonderful Carla, who um, supports me fantastically in the business. And she works in early years. Um, she's an early year specialist. And, I, you know, over my career and over my experience, I've learned huge amounts from Carla because she's in there doing it. She knows what works. And we've, she's got that experience to really say that will work with one parent or that will work with one child, but not necessarily with the other. So we've got to adapt as well. It's a, I mean, it's I'm making it sound it's a big role. It is. I hope this doesn't put anybody off. If anybody's listening to this, thinking of working in early years, it's a fantastically rewarding job. Don't be put off by the safeguarding. Absolutely. And the children trust you implicitly, don't they? Um, yeah. I want to go back to something that you've just said, because I think it's really important when we look at early years connect. And one of the things that we're striving to do really is build the knowledge as well of senior leaders, CEOs who are not necessarily as familiar with early years. And yet very often that could be, let's say, the, um, the head teacher is also the DSL 
and making safeguarding decisions, but perhaps not understanding so solidly the early years curriculum. How do we work on building that confidence throughout all levels of teaching staff? Absolutely. What I really like is I like the opportunity to really um, identify somebody's passion. And usually staff that are working in early years are extremely passionate as they should be about early years. So if you're somebody working in early years, go knocking on that DSL's door, go knocking on that head teacher's door and say, I want a platform. I want to be able to talk to all staff about the work I'm doing at the beginning for these little ones that are then going to go all the way through their year groups. And the importance of that is to not only perhaps maybe with a few DSLs or head teachers or CEOs that maybe don't get it quite as much, but for general staff to really understand and really respect the work that's been done in early years. With anything, what I don't like in any setting is when somebody feels that they are overlooked a bit or it's not as important we we all are aware that there will be some people and let's say maybe perhaps people outside of education at times that look at people that work with early years and say oh it's just playing and you think mm, it's not just playing it's a really really important role and it's something that so many parents and families rely on hugely but also so do the teachers that are in the higher year groups. And I think then we want to empower everyone working in early years to know that nothing will change and nothing will help with their work unless everybody is on board. So we go back to culture, which we always talk about in safeguarding. We cannot develop the safeguarding culture if we're developing it from key stage one upwards. We've got to make sure we're inclusive of everybody and it starts at the beginning of their journey with us. I mean, there's so many ways in which we can make sure that early years staff feel really empowered to be able to feel that they have a bit more of a voice at times. And there will be people listening to this that are in wonderful settings and they feel really valued and really supported. I work with some fantastic clients that are wonderful and it's brilliant but I also know that there are some people that will be listening saying well I wish I worked somewhere that valued it because I don't feel that I am but it does really start with developing that culture and that starts at leadership and management and if you haven't got that then something needs to change so what I would say is you've got to be bold enough and believe in yourself enough that you go and say this is what we're struggling with and this is what we think could help and that's why you do need that voice and that platform. So even little things like if there's staff meetings and there's going to be information about safeguarding, say you want to just tag on, you want to share some case studies, you want to share some successes and some wins of some ways that you've engaged with families. You want to talk about some of the above and beyond, the extra bits that you've done for families, because there's a lot of that that goes on in early years. And you want to talk about that with staff so they really understand ah, it's the really big picture. So we're not just talking about child protection. We're talking about all the preventative work in safeguarding to make sure that everybody does understand what's going on. Because I think sometimes it can be maybe an area of the school where some people say, oh gosh, no, oh God, oh little ones. Oh, I wouldn't know what to do. Oh no, I'm much happier with year six. I can teach them that and that's fine. But we can't have that like that. We've got to make sure that we include everybody.
And that's the importance. Um, we've recently done a post at Heed that talks about for leaders the importance of going down into the early years classroom, get to know the children's names. At, at the time we record this, we're early on in the academic year. You know, really take the time, go down, read a story to the children in early years, make sure you know them as unique characters so that should a concern pop through or a staff member talk to you, you know exactly the child they're talking about. But often, Ella, I, I go, can go into schools and there are staff members in year six who, or, or even year four and year three say, well, I, I don't know the names of the younger children. It's important that everybody in a school knows every child. And I know that's a huge challenge for three form entry schools. Um, but there, there must be that willingness that every child in that school could stop and talk to you and could disclose or choose you just to say something that builds part of that jigsaw together. But what I'd say, and I absolutely agree, and what I love is because we know each other, it's so easy for people that don't know either of us that would listen to two women talking on a podcast and saying all these things and could very easily think, well, what do you know? Because the roles we're in at the moment, but actually both of us, we've done this, we know it, we we are not asking or suggesting anything that we have not done ourselves. So I think also when we're suggesting something like go and read a story in early years, go and engage with the children, go and spend a bit of time there. The, let's change it a little bit. Yes, that's absolutely needed for the children, but change it. And if you are a DSL or you are somebody that is working as part of the safeguarding team, especially go and do it for you. Because my goodness, when I go in and do safeguarding audits in a primary setting, I love nothing more than going into early years. It's adorable. I remember, obviously, safeguarding can be a bit grim. So when I was director of safeguarding, and I was still I was based in school, I was still doing frontline work. I was in a highly deprived area with so many really, really difficult and challenging safeguarding issues. And one year it was Christmas time and a head teacher locally contacted me. Um, I will name him. It was Matt Wynn of Hollyhead. He's a wonderful, wonderful head teacher. And he phoned me and he said, Ella, are you free on I think Thursday afternoon at this time? I said, um, yeah, I am actually. And he said, would you like to come over and toast some marshmallows with the children? and do some of the outdoor things with them for Christmas. They're going to do some nice Christmas things. Um, and uh, we just thought it might be quite nice for you to do something really nice and positive rather than something about safeguarding. And I thought, wow, this is for me, that I mean, it made very little difference, I'm sure to the little ones, whether I was there, you know, they were surrounded by lovely, lovely adults. But for me, it was really important that somebody recognized that I needed to do something really positive. But it really made me understand. And from that moment on, I'm a big advocate for especially school leaders. If you are the one that's going to be sitting in exclusion meetings and you're having all the difficult things and you're having all the horrible, sad safeguarding meetings, do the nice things. Arrange that you are doing rewards things and you're having your lunchtime with a nice little group of children to celebrate their successes. Go and read a story. Go and share your favourite book with them. Go and do all of these things are nice for you to do because we need that balance because it's Absolutely. no fun if we don't have that 
Oh, definitely. And do you know what I like about that, Ella? And you're, you're, you're so right. I mean, I, I'm in school at the moment four days a week. You know, he is, is doing great. And I also work as head of school development as, as part of HEED. Um, developing the whole school and those opportunities to sit with the children at lunchtime and say to them very genuinely, um, you know, if you wanted to talk to somebody in this in this school, who would you go and talk to? You know, do you have people that um, you would kind of tell something if you were a bit worried, if you were concerned, um, if you wanted to write it down or draw it? How, how would you do that? Where would you do that? Um, just so you can understand actually what is it like for a child here right now? How safe do they feel? How safe are they? Um, and, and just to really get that picture of what it's like for children. But through that, just sitting with them at lunchtime, you know, going out to playtime with them, just those times where you can listen. Well, one of the things that has come about recently in schools is lots of staff members talking about how crammed the timetable is and the very um, conveyor belt and, and maybe a lack of downtime. So I think it's important to acknowledge that those softer times of the day are really important where you've got time for a child to sit, to talk to you um, and to be there for them. Absolutely. And I think that's the other thing is that, you know, I do know that sometimes when I'm making recommendations, I'm fully aware of how stretched and pressured and tired and exhausted and everything everybody is and I, I do completely get it but that's why I quite like to reframe it so that it isn't seen as a chore or an obligation you know when we talk about like duty points it's always a bit of a bugbear in schools isn't it it's of all I've got duty today but actually let's try and reframe it to think this is my opportunity it's my opportunity that I'm going to ask these questions to these children to gather a little bit of knowledge and understanding of how they are and how they're feeling about things and I think doing that will make it feel so much more purposeful and it will feel less of a chore or less of a, oh, this is what I've got to do. Um, and so some of those more downtime things can actually be beneficial, but in a less structured way. I and mean, it's always my favourite thing when I'm doing audits on site. I love being able to go and talk to the children because you get the real honest thing from absolutely them. um I mean there's always some hilarious answers when I say oh is there anything that could make this school better and it's always something absolutely hilarious it's always something like we need a longer break time or I don't like the donuts or it's a something um but it's a real opportunity I had a lovely wonderful experience in a school yesterday and I was in a special school and I was um, given a tour by a year nine boy who was absolutely outstanding. He was incredible. He told me everything I wanted to know about the school. He talked confidently about safeguarding. It was so clear that safeguarding is sort of weaved through everything. We, we liken it to like a golden thread that goes through absolutely everything. And it is so lovely to hear children talking so passionately and that their vocabulary has been developed. Now, that vocabulary can start really early. So it's a bit like when we talk about um, consent, for example. So I had a meeting with somebody who was saying that they had spoken to a governing body and they were in a secondary school about talking about consent. And the some governors were a bit, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think we want to do that under the age of, you know, 16. We don't want to talk about consent. 
And our challenge to them was, we need to be talking about this in early year settings because there's age appropriate ways and children should learn at a very young age about their own ability to make choices and to give or take away their consent. And understanding that, and it's a very different way of working to obviously, you know, when I was growing up, but rightly so, it's what we need. And again, that goes back to that confidence as well of early years um, staff saying, well, we know because we've done the training in this. We are experienced in this area and we know best. So we are telling you why we are doing this, because everything is proven to say we've got to do it this way because it's the right way. And we've developed and evolved as years have gone on. And um, so I really I think people are getting better, but I still think there probably are some that are struggling a little bit with really understanding the importance of that setting of those foundations with the use of vocabulary and setting the standards and expectations for safeguarding at that very early stage. Yeah, and it's, it goes the same for staff, doesn't it? Knowing, knowing what to report, knowing when to report it. And, you know, it's that if in doubt, always, always call it in, always go to your DSL, always go to your deputy. But how do we, how do you think we build the confidence of the staff on the ground to do that, Ella? Because you, you work with lots of people. Some, some may have never trained as a, a DSL or, or in safeguarding um, before. Or, you know, your, your initial many schools in September will have their refresh of keeping children safe in education. Um, how do we build the culture? Uh, we've had many ways in the past. So most recently in the school, uh, we did a quiz on a weekly memo. And there was always a quiz about what's the local crime rate in the local area, what's the dominant crime, um, what's the highest category of recording in our school in terms of whether you record on My Concern or CPON or, or whatever electronic system you use. So just keeping that information fresh so that people feel confident. Um, what, what other top tips would you give, Ella? Well, so obviously I've done this for quite a while and I've been I do lots of training now but I was on the receiving end of lots of training mm -hmm. for many years and I have felt the same dread when you worked in education for years and you've got your annual safeguarding training and it's hours and hours of death by powerpoint and it's grim and it's boring and people switch off because often it can be if it's not delivered by somebody that's going to engage you at all you think oh well it's the same as every time so what I would suggest is the things that really seem to resonate with people is do a shorter sort of like September update to keeping children safe in education, then do some lots of drip feeding. So we, for example, have created um, little like 10 minute loom videos where we have slides or resources and we voice over and we talk through and we explain it. They're little bite sized bits that can be disseminated out to staff as an they wish. Also, sign up to any free newsletters, anything that's out there around safeguarding, and just have it as somebody's job that when that comes in on a weekly or fortnightly basis, that it just goes out to all staff, or it's put on a platform where they can access it. Make sure that you are asking staff about how they want to be involved, because I guarantee everybody has got 
those staff members that are desperate to be asked to be involved and they want to share their experience and they are very happy to write a case study or present it in a staff meeting or put it in a briefing or send it out as a memo. Use the real examples of what you've dealt with because like for example I do training for different groups so what I can't do is I cannot stand up in front of people and say as a year six teacher you might have this because the caretaker that sat in front of me or the um, person that works um, in the kitchen for example or the peripatetic music teacher is listening thinking I'm switching off now because I'm not a year six teacher so you've got to be really careful with that. But what I don't see that's out there a lot is lots of case studies and lots of examples in early years. There's so much more out there for older children. Um, and I know that obviously some safeguarding issues are much more prevalent in older children. But we really do need to shine light a little bit more on those common safeguarding issues. And I think what's tricky about that is it's really sad to think of any safeguarding issues with any child. But I think what's also difficult is for some people that are in a position where they have chosen to work in early years with very young children. They absolutely want to do a fantastic job. They want to support them. They want them to be OK. And for some people, it can be really, really challenging and really difficult to ever imagine that anything bad could happen to them. What I would say is, as upsetting and as difficult as that can be, we are not protecting children if we just want to think everything's okay. So we do have to go sometimes to that uncomfortable place. So what I would say to any leaders that are in a position to provide training and to have those conversations is again, like we said about having the difficult conversations with families, have those difficult conversations about the safeguarding issues that the early year staff might be able to spot and highlight. Because what you don't want to do is that somebody misses it because they can't possibly think that that could happen. So if we're thinking about neglect issues, we know ourselves that we're thinking, goodness me, that can't be that somebody's deliberately done that because I would never do that to a child. Why would anyone? But the reality is that sadly, some people do. And we've got to always have that little, I am like a little cloud of doom, I'm afraid, because I have to always think worst case scenario. So you do sort of have to have that but what if and never ever think but what if I'm wrong and I've caused a big fuss always think but what if I'm right and then me speaking out I've stopped it I've highlighted it and I've stopped it so what I would say is as you were saying absolutely report everything any good DSL should never respond with oh why are you bothering me with this they should be grateful to receive the same bit of information about the same child 25 times from 25 different people. That's what should happen. So don't be put off by doing that. And also another big thing I would say is as important as we are in education, and we absolutely are for knowing the children, we're not an emergency service. So also be kind to yourself about the weight of the responsibility when you're trying to hold really complex cases and really sad and troubling difficulties with families because there should be other agencies there should be a multi-agency supportive approach there should you know if there's a social worker involved a family support worker police housing whatever it is we're not an emergency service you shouldn't be worried and anxious about this when you're at home and should be able to self-care and look after yourselves 
So be kind to yourself. And if you do need to talk to somebody about that, you should reach out for that support because that isn't going to be helpful for you. Um, I've, I've learned that. Um, I'm all for self-care. It's really important. And we can't do our best jobs if we don't make sure we're okay. That supportive school community just ripples through everybody, doesn't it, Ella? Whether whether it's supporting your staff members as a senior leader or, or the support to each other on the staff team, the fact that, you know, reaching out is so important here. Uh, and being sometimes it takes a step of bravery to say, Do you know what, I, I just need to talk to somebody. I just need to get this off my chest. And just talking to the right person, going back to the DSL, talking to them, uh, I know you do supervision, Ella, is that right, for schools as well? I do. Um, so my background a thousand years ago was I trained as a person-centred and gestalt therapist. Um, and then obviously with my role within schools, I've got about probably about 18 years experience now. Um, every time I say it, obviously the year goes up and I think, goodness me. Um, but because combining those has been really helpful with supervision because I do supervision for a lot of designated safeguarding leads, also some deputies, but also for other staff. So staff that might have been the first person that becomes aware of a safeguarding issue. And actually it can be really upsetting and really difficult. So what I try and do with my sessions is, I sometimes run some group ones, which is really useful for reviewing what's happened, you know, learning, from things, evaluating things, seeing what, what's worked well, what we could do better, all of that, or perhaps trying to come up with some new things that we could try if there's still some issues. But on the individual sessions, what you find is people are so much more um, able to then talk about how it's personally impacted them. And I think that's really important because, or I mean, you know from our relationship, but I I do the job that I do. I love doing the job I do. But what I will never, ever state is that I know it all. And I think it's foolish for anybody to do that in any capacity in, in being that sort of person that somebody goes to. I learn something every time I go into a school. I take little bits away and I say, oh, this is amazing. Can I share it with all my clients? This is great. The more we can share, the better. And I think that goes for the more we can share about how we can take care of ourselves because it's a tough job. And if you are a DSL, um, it can be a quite a lonely job because you can feel, especially if you are the DSL and you're ahead, you can sometimes feel, well, whose shoulder am I crying on? Because I can't go home and tell my partner and my family all this safeguarding stuff. And I can't also tell the people that I'm supposed to be line managing and I'm supposed to be showing that I'm leading. Now, I don't buy into that wholly. I say that because I understand why people feel like that. But we know that actually so much can come out of leaders showing their vulnerabilities and how things have impacted them. It's really important. I make no secret, and I haven't all my career, of when something has been a particularly difficult case for me to manage. So, you know, you get affected by different ones at different times for different reasons. And But that's really important to acknowledge that, because if you don't, it's likely to come back and bite you. So it, I would suggest to anybody that's maybe feeling that niggle, 
reach out for some support. So many organisations, if they don't have supervision from an external provider like me and many, many other people, um, they might buy into something through HR where they have some kind of staff support. And often you can have some online sessions and they are confidential. So if you you know, ask for six sessions, they're not going to report to HR that you were talking about your marriage breakup or that this has affected you because this safeguarding issue was something that was really personal to you. But use what support is out there. Um, there are so many. Um, and also, I have no issue whatsoever. If somebody doesn't really know where to go, um, you can have all my contact details. I'm very happy to talk to people and sign post um, depending on what they need. Yeah, that's brilliant, Ella. Thank you. And we'll definitely put those in the show notes because um, I truly believe you're the best person sitting on here today to be talking about safeguarding. Having worked with you, just your approach, your presence, your experience, your knowledge, uh, it makes a phenomenal difference when you've got that go-to person, um, having been ahead, having been an early years leader and in school improvement, it, it matters that you've got that go-to because what we're struggling here is confidentiality is so, so, so important and that need to know basis, um, but also your mental health and well-being is incredibly important. So it's talking to the right people at the right time, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I have this, you know, obviously, we, we I always say to people as my little uh, caveat at the beginning of training sessions, if you need to talk about a specific child, you know, we won't, you know, you don't need to say their UPN number. What you can do is say, it's a boy in year four and I'm a bit worried about this. It's absolutely fine to be able to say, actually I had a pretty tough day today because there was a safeguarding issue that was about neglect. And that's been really difficult for me to see a child that's being neglected. And for me to try and understand how somebody could do that to a child, that's absolutely fine. That's, that's okay. Beautiful. Sorry, Anna, that's, that's the beauty of case studies, isn't it? And, and to uh, things like at the start, maybe of every staff meeting, just to build that culture through doing one case study a week um, out on the table and a real open discussion with people about, and there are plenty of case studies out there um, that you can download, that you can use just to get people familiar with talking about safeguarding and creating that openness in the setting. So, and for parents too, too often to put on your newsletter about how important safeguarding is within school and the, the open door policy as, as all staff members. So if families have got something troubling them, um, that you're absolutely there to listen. I know certainly as a head, I would be on the gate every morning and every evening, welcoming all of the children in by their names, but also, you know, that time for families and parents, because we know that sometimes there are tricky times and it, it could be a bereavement in a family that's particularly affected a child that you can support with maybe books or resources or games um even a, a cup of tea with a family and just being them um, they they are they are your school family uh, all of the time and wherever i am that's certainly you know that presence is important i mean i i have inside knowledge so i know that I know everything that you're saying is what you do. And I think for anybody that's listening to this, if you are in any kind of leadership position, just check in with yourself about whether if you had a problem, would you be somebody that you'd go to? Now, I know, Michelle, that your whole persona and everything and your aura that you give off 
I know that even somebody that didn't work at your school but sort of came in as a visitor, I 100% know that if ever I dropped you a message and said, I could do with a chat, you'd be there. And I know that that's there. And your open door policy means open door. Now, not everybody has that. Some people are phenomenal about it. But if you're somebody that struggles with that, you probably need to work on that a little bit more. Because if we don't do that, we are going to affect the culture and it will be like a ripple effect. So check in, but ask for feedback. That can be quite scary. You know, it is quite scary when you ask for feedback. But if you are under any sort of like worry of, do people want to come to me? Am I approachable? Am I ever a little bit short with them? Do they feel a little bit worried? Whatever it might be, ask the question, go to people and try and get that feedback so that you can learn and you can develop. And you're also showing to all of your staff that actually this isn't about them. This is about all of us on that journey. And I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm pretty much every newsletter I produce, it always says we are we are strong as one cool school community. And it really is that it's it's the strength of the connected culture and the family feel, isn't it? Yeah. So Ella, to round off today, um, we spoke about early years. We've certainly given some top tips about how leaders can manage safeguarding in early years. Would you give any top tips to early years staff themselves aside from get to know your children, get to know your families, have the very presence. Do you think there are any more key takeaways that we could give? I think if we just bring the leadership management level down a bit back into whoever is over um, early years, just make sure that you develop that culture, that you've got it really sorted within your setting, that all your staff know that they will be listened to, that their opinion is valued, that they have such close relationships. They are doing so much for children because of the ages and the needs. They are going to know and see and do so much more than many staff will be doing further up the school. So I think do a little bit of a pep talk, I'd say. I'd say come together as early years staff and give yourself a bit of a positive talking to, to really believe it. You know, I'm all for, you know, I like the sort of positive affirmations. I'm big on gratitudes. I think do that and bring that into early years because you can very much bring it into the little ones as well. I do, you know, gratitudes and positive affirmations with my stepdaughter and we absolutely love it. I mean, there are times when she's probably less enthusiastic. She's nine, though. Um, but it's a really lovely habit to get into because actually we all feel a bit better if we just put things in perspective and we celebrate that we've done something really well or we're doing a really worthwhile job. So what I would say is if you've got an interest and you want some more CPD, you want some more training, there's loads of stuff out there. Not everything costs the earth as well. You can, you know, even listening to podcasts and things. I'm a big advocate for podcasts, love a podcast. They're so useful. You can listen to them on your commute, whatever it might be. But I'd say take a little bit of a moment to celebrate what the amazing job that you do. You know, I love that, Ella, and that reminds me. So uh, I've just come out of an interim headship at a school and after supporting them, that the one thing that we put by the daily sign in and out sheet is writing something positive on a piece, piece of paper to share with the staff as they went out. And, you know, just reading other staff members' positive comments and that uh, everybody gave. Everybody would just sign out. And as they signed out, just wrote something that had made them smile in their day. And not only writing it makes you feel better, but actually reading the comments of the other staff members as well. 
it, it just leaves you walking out on the day thinking it's been a good day today see i told you every time i have an interaction i learn something i'm like oh my gosh i need to share that with all of my clients that's amazing it's brilliant and then just to put them up on the staff room so it's you just pop them up and just keep reminding yourself that that positivity as you make a cup of tea uh, it it really does count, doesn't it? That's that supportive culture. So um, you you spoke a bit uh, about home life and your stepdaughter. What we do on the earliest Connect podcast is we draw to an end. We know communication and language is really important for our young children. Um, vocabulary, reading um, gives them the absolute foundations for learning. So Ella, come on, tell us what is your favourite children's book? Well, it's an interesting one. So I was really torn as to what to have for this. So I have chosen the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. Um, if I was doing it from when I was little, it would have been more sort of like Enid Blyton type things and all of that. And um, But Mia and I read that book, which the lovely Carla, who I was talking about in early years, she bought that for Mia for her birthday and is nine times out of 10, the go-to book for bedtime because it's got so many lovely positive messages lots of people will see lots of the quotes around um, they're used in um, lots of different posts online um, but they're easy to dip into but they also are conversation starters so I love the fact that we will read only just a little short bit and then we'll have a little chat about it a little discussion and I think that really does help I mean fortunately Mia loves reading and so it's really nice and she's still of that age where she wants me to read to her which you know I know won't happen forever so we need to embrace it while we have it but it's a lovely beautiful book. Thank you Ella definitely uh, gets my vote too although I have to say we talk about not reading and and Mia being of the age she is but I, but I have to say myself and my husband drive along we do two hour three hour journeys and um, you can bet that we are reading a book together as we go along. So I'll read and he'll drive. So we recently read uh, The Night Bus Hero, which is a year four text. So it's like, come on, let's read this. Great story. And uh, just good to be sharing the pleasure of reading with. So wonderful. That is wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's such a wonderful um, and important skill to develop and keep developing and nurturing. And again, it's got to be that it's not seen as a chore, but it's an absolute pleasure and a joy. As it has been to do this podcast today, Ella, thank you. Uh, I was so excited when we were going to do this today, because like we've said, we've worked together for many, many, many years. So it's an absolute, it's a joy to talk to you today. And, and for listeners out there to just take heed from your knowledge your experience um your company is out there for people to connect with you're out there and the lovely carla um for, for people to connect we'll put all of your details in the show notes so that people can head on to your website contact you personally but more than that take heed from the information today ella honestly i can't thank you enough I get the joy of carrying on to work with you. Um, thank you very much for the podcast today. Likewise. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I think we probably could have carried on for another few hours. So yeah. I, would, if there's another topic we can talk about, let's do another one in the future.
100%. And if anybody wants that, drop us a note on the podcast comments or have a look at Heath Socials, hop on to LinkedIn and um, drop us a note, comment, and we can get Ella back on and talk about more interesting safeguarding subjects. Ella, thank you for today. And thank you to all the staff in early years who work incredibly hard each and every day. Thank you. Thank you.